right, welcome to this week's edition of the Magic Hour here at the Forum Club at The Athletic LA. Andy, did I get all that right? You got it all correct. Oh, nice. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, of course, uh, the, the podcast now we're taking uh, as, as the NBA is, has stopped. We have moved on to uh, sports movies. Um, and this week, a critically important 1996 film, uh, as we all are in the, the midst of the pandemic, um, that deals with uh, serious issues about what happens when a virus strikes the NBA and what the league's response would be. There's a subplot in there about Michael Jordan and space aliens and other things, but an oddly prescient 1996 film, Space Jam, is our uh, movie this week. And our guest, to break it down, a passionate defender of the film and its quality, ESPN's Dave McMenamin. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, of course, I am honored to be here as the lone voice of reason. <laughs> yeah. Dave McMenamin, for people uh, unfamiliar, uh, covers all things NBA for ESPN and also has an amazing outside jump shot, as he will be the first to tell you. <laughs> well, you were the first this time around, but yes. <laughs> a, a skill that was oddly useless uh, in the big Monstars versus uh, Looney Tunes game. Uh, which is something that we can get into. <laughs> Very little perimeter game that was displayed there. Um, so Space Not Jam, an era of spacing the floor. No, no. It was pretty much dunk or, or nothing. All right, so Space Jam, uh, obviously the big Michael Jordan, uh, Bugs Bunny mashup that when you kind of go back and you look at it, it was based, based on every single commercial that came out during the era. Um, and it's being remade now by LeBron James among other people. So uh, it's in the news for it's relevant now because, you know, all the stuff around last dance and this and that. So uh, this show, I believe, is going to drop right around the time of Space Jam coming out. Like, I think we're basically going to be entering around that or it's going to be focusing the, I should say those episodes, are, I think, upcoming. It seems like it's going to be focusing uh, on that time period and sort of Michael reemerging back into the zeitgeist. It, it seems like based on the trailers that we've seen. Excellent. That's good timing on our part. Um, so uh, Space Jam grossed over $230 million worldwide. This is the highest uh, grossing basketball film of all time. Uh, I think by a fair amount. <laughs> I think we could all, uh, all agree with that. $20 million, uh, of that box office was from McMenamin. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and that's with 1996 prices. Dave, Dave took every ounce of his money from his paper route <laughs> back then. How old were you in 1996? 96, I was uh, 14, or yeah, it came out in November 96, but I just turned 14. I owned a Michael Jordan action figure in Space Jam garb. I definitely owned some sort of cup. I think it had like, you know those cups that have like liquid inside them? Mm -hmm. And then those little things within the liquid, I think it were stars. So you drink oh, the cup yeah. and it would uh -huh. feel like the galaxy was uh, coming towards your mouth. Uh, and I definitely saw it in the theaters. So I was right there ahead of the trend before $230 million, before it got remade 25 years later as a all-time classic. I was there recognizing the greatness to begin with. <laughs> you were not a poser. You're not some, you know, Silver Lake, you know, uh, hipster or whatever. You were into this thing. You were yes. like Radiohead. You heard the demo tracks of Pablo Honey. <laughs> That's right. Right. So, um, Andy, how would you describe the plot? Basically, the plot, if you want to get into this, uh, is basically monsters steal 
the Looney Tunes and are going to enslave them. Uh, the Looney Tunes trick them into staging a basketball game um, to try to earn their freedom. Uh, the, the aliens then, in an effort to win the basketball game, steal the talent of NBA players. Uh, to compensate for that, the Looney Tunes then steal Michael Jordan to try to win the game. Um, and that's basically it. And I got yeah, that. That's pretty much the summary. I mean, frankly, you've got a lot of players being used against their will, <laughs> including Michael Jordan in, in this movie. Like there's, there's a lot of, for powerful athletes, these guys do not have a lot of control uh, over their own parts in, in this story. But yeah, that's basically it. Um, well, again, the movie deals with many serious issues from uh, <laughs> epidemiology to slavery um, to, you know, bondage. All kinds of things are really, you know, beneath the surface. Though. And, and it should be noted, too, that down the stretch of the game, Michael Jordan actually raises the stakes. Yes. And, and you know, uh, ups the ante and says that if the Looney Tunes wins, the Looney Tunes win, his uh, NBA friends get their powers back. But if they lose, Michael Jordan will become the main attraction of this theme park that the, uh, the evil man hosted, uh, voiced by Danny DeVito, uh, is trying to make his fun park uh, more of an attraction. Michael Jordan will be forced Swack to play. Hammer. Yes. Swackhammer. He'll be forced to play one-on-one uh, -on -one with fans and always lose. He'll have to sign autographs until his hand falls off. Like right. so. And by the way, if that happens, we never get the Last Dance documentary because we don't get those seasons because he's enslaved in an alien world. Um, so it's, it was critical that he won that game. Um, I, let's, the whole impetus, though, is that Moron Mountain is an <laughs> alien theme park. <laughs> now, this is a criticism. No, it, the whole idea, an alien theme park is struggling to draw new uh, families to come and enjoy their experience. So, okay, what can we do? We need to steal uh, entertaining people from uh, the Earth. Uh, now, one thing I'll say, when the aliens come to Looney Tune World, and first of all, this I thought was ingenious. The way they enter into Looney Tune World, they come up to the huge WB logo with the rings around it and shoot their alien spacecraft through it, and then they go from one world to another. thought that was very clever. But once <laughs> they get there, all these little guys have their ray guns, and they basically say, like, you know, you do what we say or else. And then they shoot Bugs Bunny with the ray gun. Cut to three frames later, Bugs Bunny is back to looking regular. He doesn't have frayed hair. He's not burnt to a crisp because it's cartoons. They can do whatever they want. Later on, they put Bugs Bunny in chains and they are talking to the town hall amongst all the cartoon characters. And they threaten, like, hey, if you don't listen to us, we're going to put you in chains just like Bugs Bunny. And then Bugs Bunny casually. Wriggles slides out, out yeah. of the chains like he's wearing a sleeping bag. So the point is, they never had any real threat. They were never posing any real threat. No, but they did, they did shoot Yosemite Sam with another ray gun, and that intimidated everybody else. But guess what? Yosemite Sam, a couple frames later, back to being normal. <laughs> it is true. Yosemite During Sam the game. is the one who lassos Michael Jordan through the golf hole. That's true. And he's, and he's normal for that. During the game, they literally, the Monstars, disintegrate Foghorn Leghorn, and then he's back. <laughs> yeah, he's he's back. back later. So, right, so I guess, hold on. <laughs> Save some of this. This is important um, <laughs> as we get through. We, we, as we always do, let's start with the, the start of the lineup of this film. Um, the cast, it is uh, fairly straightforward. Michael Jordan as himself. Wayne Knight, from, uh, we all know from Seinfeld, one of the few people playing another human being. He's playing Stan Podolak, uh, sort of a lackey 
on the Birmingham Barons, whose job it is to make sure Michael is always happy while he plays minor league baseball. Uh, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, Muggsy Bogues, Larry Johnson, Sean Bradley are the NBA players who have their powers taken by the Monstars. You see all kinds of NBA people. Del Harris, Vlade Divac, Ed Sabalos, AC Green, uh, Jeff Malone makes an appearance, Charles Oakley, Morning, Anthony Miller, uh, Catherine Reitman, who played Maureen Ponderosa on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, among other things. She's one of the nerd lucks. Um, nerd luck bupkis. Yes. Really? She's yes. currently in Working Moms. Yes, she is. And it's actually a pretty funny show. And um, yeah, her father is Ivan Reitman, the producer, uh, who has a wonderful restaurant in Toronto called Montecito, one of my favorites. There you go. Uh, but I, Catherine Reitman does excellent work as Maureen Ponderosa. Uh, and Patricia Heaton and Dan Castellaneta are the two fans at the Knicks game. Um, and that is a scene that we are going to have to discuss because Dan Castellaneta, the voice of, voice Homer, of Homer Simpson. Simpson. You also right. forgot, Brian, and because this is important, Bill Murray as himself. Oh, Bill Murray as himself plays a critical role in the movie. Larry Bird delivers a fantastic Larry. performance, Bill Murray. Yeah, Larry Bird. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, Larry Bird playing yeah. himself. Yeah. Um, another, he's actually quite convincing. I think of all the players, Larry Bird actually gives one of the better performances. Um, all right. So that's that. Um, context around the movie, it is. I think the most important thing, guys, is that it's post, it comes out post Jordan comeback. Mm -hmm. And to its credit, is very self aware about Jordan's baseball career. And like the, you know, the whole notion that the aliens don't go try to get Michael Jordan because they don't realize he's not a baseball player is actually kind of funny. Like, I like that. I like how much they make fun of Jordan's baseball career. I like the guy. Thanks him for signing the basketball, you know, for his kid. Tells him what all the pitches are coming. Like he strikes out in slider, and he's like, "Maybe you wonder if that's like a real story." It probably is, right? But, Couldn't you see that, like some, you know, triple A catcher being so awestruck, like, "Hey, this game doesn't really matter. Right. You're Michael Jordan. I'm going to tell you what pitch is coming. You get a hit. I tell my kids about this later." Right, but like he says, slider, don't swing, and he swings, and he's like, "I told you not to swing." He's like, "I couldn't help it." Like. That's Jordan poking fun at the fact that he hit like 200 at double A, which is actually pretty impressive. But, you know, he obviously wasn't as good. OK, so that's that. Um, Andy, any other additional context you find important about this uh, this moment? Uh, just that I think, you know, MJ had just won his fourth championship um, and he's going for for the repeat that season. Um, I think it's also interesting too, just like no matter what you think of the movie's quality, and we're definitely going to get into that, like it's a fairly radical movie approach. Like there hadn't been a lot like it in terms of mixing humans with animation. Like you had Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was a massive success. You had that Ralph Bakshi movie, Cool World, with Brad Pitt that's not good at all. Um, and Joe Pitka, or Pitka, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, the director, he didn't think this movie would actually work. And it was actually really, they, they, he had done a bunch of commercials with MJ before. Um, he did the, the Nothing But Net one with Larry, uh, Larry Bird. He did a, a couple of the ones that uh, teamed up Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny, which was really sort of the, the genesis of all this. But he really didn't think that this was going to work. Um, he said, quote, I think the producers weren't that adept at mixing animation and live action. I know Robert Zemeckis had told one of the producers that Roger Rabbit was the most difficult thing he'd ever done, and he would never do anything like that again. So I don't think they realized how complicated the process was. And like it was hard for them to get even somebody to play the Wayne Knight role because everyone's looking at this like, okay, so all of my scenes are either with cartoon characters 
or non-actors like uh, Michael J. Fox uh, ended up uh, getting passed on. Jason Alexander passed on it. Chevy Chase passed on it. Vincent D'Onofrio was considered really? for the Wayne Knight role, which really? would have been very intense. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been extremely intense. So this is poking a hole in one of my theories, having watched this while being immersed in The Last Dance, is that the Stan Podolak character played by Wayne Knight is inspired by Jerry Krause. But if they were going to have Michael J. Fox to play that role, then obviously there's no Jerry Krause connection. Yeah, well, apparently uh, Pika or Pitka, I'll just call him Pitka for the sake of this, um, he wanted Michael J. Fox in the studio for whatever reason said no. And then there were a few other people that passed and then they eventually got Wayne Knight. But it was just hard to get actors of any kind for this just because the, the concept was pretty out there. And then, you know, it's like the never act with children or animals thing in this case never act with cartoon <laughs> characters and athletes like it just from an actor's perspective this was something where like i don't i don't feel like doing it i don't want to do it um yeah I mean, the whole thing is it, it's an interesting like and i actually think the animation part of it like the as we, we'll get into the authenticity of it and how well staged some of these scenes are they actually end up doing a pretty decent job like of like weaving the people in with the basketball stuff uh but let's start here with, with performances because i think this actually gets to because dave and i had a little bit of back and forth before we started uh recordings we we're sort of you know prepping sending information so dave knew where to find us and all that and the, the the debate began early and i will say certain things got better i watched it twice in preparation for this and certain things actually got better for me the second time did you take as many copious notes as dave did no, I, an entire, I an entire legal pad. No, on a legal pad with no spaces in between. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So the, the the first thing is, you know, who pulls off their performances? Let's start with MJ, Dave McMenamin. What did you think of Michael Jordan's performance in Space Jam? So I want to get back to the point you said, where there's a level of being self aware. Mm -hmm. I think that is what sells it. And he has that. It's not only allowing Bugs Bunny when he says a line like, well, I can't play basketball with you guys. I'm a baseball player now. And Bugs Bunny goes, yeah, and I'm a Shakespearean actor. Like, that's the best line to me. I laughed out loud because it's Michael, who we have known to be intensely competitive, to take things very serious, to allow everyone to know he's in on the joke. Like, you can make fun of me in this movie as well. And that allows subsequent scenes to occur where he gets rolled into a basketball and dribbled around and then crumbles back out. Um, it allows him to get knocked all over the court by, you know, fictitious monsters in the ultimate game. And then beyond that, he's just cool. He's Michael Jordan had an aura back then. He's in his early 30s. He's in impeccable shape. Um, he's got the hoop earring. He's got, um, you know... When he's playing golf, he's wearing the Kangol hat. When he's, uh, you know, they're ready to play, you get these wonderful shots of his sneakers. Um, even at one point, the commercial part of it is made fun of when Wayne Knight's character mm -hmm. comes in to get him from the minor league hotel. Is like, all right, let's go. We're gonna, you know, eat your Big Mac and right. We'll get some Gatorade. Right. Get some Gatorade. <laughs> He's and it should be you know stopping for we'll stop for a Big Mac. He goes through you know put on your Nikes with and he, and he goes through every single thing that Jordan endorses. Right. And it's worth noting that Jordan is already drinking a soda from a McDonald's cup McDonald's. when right. the thing starts. Like right. so, little things like that are are kind of funny, and I and I, I definitely appreciate that. And he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't have to spread himself 
no. so wide to fulfill this role. Um, but I think that's fair. <laughs> he, he, at the same time, he is playing along with the guys. And that, to me, I, I don't know. I think it works. I um, Andy, I thought the, the, the weird thing when I was watching this, just because, you know, we're kind of in that space. And this week on Last Dance, everybody's talking about, you know, this, this particular week is dedicated to Kobe and Kobe plays a pretty big role in it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, so much of Jordan in the, especially like the early lines when you delivery and this and that sounds exactly in my head of how Kobe would have delivered the exact same line. It was so weird watching it. Like, you know what's funny? I had I, I had that, that thought, but I also had that thought with LeBron too. And it, maybe it's because you know, thinking about Space Jam Two coming up, and I definitely want to get into Space Jam Two and sort of like the thoughts of the prospects of that movie. But I saw a lot of LeBron in, in MJ's delivery during a lot of this, and I and I saw the Kobe that you're talking about too. And you know, those are two guys that have made no secret about how influential. MJ was over them, you know, professionally, personally, you know, in terms of something to aspire to. But you're totally right. I mean, it, it was there. It's absolutely there. Like yeah. I had actually forgotten in some ways until the last dance came around, we didn't necessarily hear as much from Michael Jordan, like in the moment as we did, you know, like Kobe or LeBron. And maybe some of that is us being around it more because of our jobs or just media growing. But like, I had kind of forgotten what Michael Jordan's voice sounded like, like in his 20s, you know, or his early 30s. You're right, like, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I kind of forgotten, like literally what, what MJ sounds like then, because I'm so used to hearing him now, but also just media wasn't the same. Like I'd kind of forgotten what he sounded like in the movie, period. And it's kind of funny. Like, I hadn't thought about that. Um, Wayne Knight, not a big fan of his performance. Wasn't given a lot to do. Uh, I'm not sure it's a, it's a particularly well, uh, well-drawn character. Uh, Wayne Knight is funnier than that. Um, but I, 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 did, I, didn't, I didn't think he was particularly good. I loved... Uh, Wait, what did he do wrong? He was great. I just, I just didn't find, <laughs> he, he him, plays, I didn't find he, him funny. He plays a grating, annoying character. That's, that's the role he has to play. I just and, feel like... I feel time, like he, I'm not blaming him all entirely. I think it was a poorly drawn character, um, but I just don't. I, I didn't think it was very. Well, it was not a good Wayne Knight performance. This Wayne is Knight has been much heated. better than this. No, I You're, just, you are I, giving you are lowering really the bar too much for Wayne Knight. One of the best comedic writers ever to, to grace the earth, but he delivers on the lines he's given. There's a classic <laughs> line. The guy comes over the golf course. He's like digging up the golf hole to see what's going on. He's like, what are you doing? I'm fixing a divot. He's fixing a divot. That's hilarious every time. <laughs> I will I say this. Love I love, I, like, I'm picturing the reviews now on like the, like the, in the newspaper in 1996, had you been asked, Wayne Knight delivers. Dave well, it's, probably, it, well, it's, it's I'm sure Dave wrote a review for the school paper, that like you know, eighth grade, ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it's like a seven page glowing review. <laughs> I think I think Larry Bird is great. I think Bill Murray is clearly just in YOLO mode and is having a lot of fun. The, the, yeah. the line Bill Murray has after Michael Jordan gets sucked down the hole and he says, what kind of camera is that? It kills me every <laughs> yeah. single. Yeah. It killed me then. Don't point, that, me now. Don't point, point that at me. <laughs> Like that's um, funny. One thing I actually, before we get off, before we get off MJ, one thing that I think about it is interesting that you can sort of see in his performance is, and it, and it works in the movie because often he's supposed to look 
confused because the situation, if you're treating it like it's actually happening to Michael Jordan, a little confusing. Would, would be confusing. There are times where I think he looks confused, but I'm sure the process, again, of making this movie was confusing for him. I mean, like, it's basically all green screen, which can be tough for seasoned actors, much less somebody who's never acted. He's never acting with actual people. Like, that probably was a pretty big leap of faith for Jordan in terms of like being like, all right, I'm going to accept that this is working. Because it's got to be weird do, basically doing all these scenes with nobody. And this was prior to his experience having Rodman as a teammate who wasn't work, used to working with aliens yet. So <laughs> they really... Let's see what you did there. Before we just bury Wayne Knight, I have to say, perhaps the most <laughs> important line he delivers is when they return from cartoon land to get back to the baseball game. In the alien spacecraft, how about that first sentence? And mm-hmm. he has the megaphone, and I believe I can fly is starting to pump up in the background. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Jordan, perfect delivery, goosebumps, goosebumps from Wayne Knight's delivery. Goosebumps. <laughs> goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, got that was part of the review. Re- retelling it. Right. That, that was part of Dave's review. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Goosebump. It's also worth noting, I guess the Space Jam producers must have thought very highly of Larry Johnson's acting because he's the only non-David Falk client to get a role as one of the players whose powers are taken by the Monstars. Um, Everybody else is a a David Falk client. David Falk, uh, the mega agent of of that era, Michael Jordan's agent, was a producer on the movie. So I guess, if nothing else, the the suits thought highly of uh, Larry Johnson. Or, or he had a connection with MJ because he's the only one. Well, and I actually thought Larry Johnson, uh, this, is a, this is a question I wanted to get into. Like, which of the NBA players give the best and worst performances? Larry Johnson has the best sight gag of anybody is when he's sitting on the bench and right after they say, um, right, exactly, Dave. Like, right after they say, you know, it's a hand-eye coordination thing, he says, I'm fine. And he takes the, the drink out of the squirt bottle and it squeezes over his head. Yeah, that's right. It's the it's the it's the equivalent of the drinking problem joke in airplane when he said that as much as anything is what led to my drinking problem. And he takes the, the glass and he just splashes it on his face. <laughs> he his mouth. Uh, that it's that joke. Um, Muggsy Bogues has a great line. In I there. think he was the best. Yeah. I, but I love my mama. You know, I love like my he, mama. but that, I mean, like he's good. Barkley is terrible. Like Barkley's, you know, embodiment of having his powers uh, snatch his talent snatched from him by the aliens is awful. Um, is that too far, uh, Dave? No, Barkley, Barkley was bad. I agree. Except when he gets mad at the psychologist, it's kind of funny the way he, it's bad acting, but it's so bad. It's kind of funny. Yeah. The way he his, and his scene in the church where he's, you know, you know, willing to give up everything to get his talent right. back. It's not terrible. Um, I, you know, Ewing does, it does okay work. Um, so all, all I could think about when Patrick Ewing was with the psychiatrist and there's the joke about, you know, can you perform? I kept thinking about the gold club. Yeah. I wish, I wish Matumbo was available for that role. He could have been. He's a David Falk yeah. client. So there was some like wink, wink humor like that. I was surprised that there was like, you know, sexual humor in that. There is a reason. No. It's just a, a little bit of trivia just to jump ahead on the show. This is uh, the first one of these things that had to be rated PG and was also edited in, in the TV cuts. It was actually edited for content. 
So it is slightly racy for something like this. Um, I also do want to give one shout out to Sean Bradley, who's uh, I've lost my talent walk. It's not best. decidedly different. It's not also not decidedly <laughs> different than how I remember Sean Bradley moving oh, on the court anyway. Man, I thought it was great. It was like every single step, his foot was getting stuck in the court, and they had to remove it. It was very good. I, I thought the line <laughs> from Larry Johnson, "Yeah, man, my gr- grandmother plays better than I do," yep. was a nice little wink. Grandmama, yeah. Um, and I thought the, the entire montage with Basketball Jones playing, where they are trying to figure out what's wrong with them was very enjoyable on a rewatch. Fun fact about Larry Johnson, really quick. Fun fact about Larry Johnson, when I was looking up to learn that he was not a David Falk client, I landed on an article talking uh, about a contract, that his big contract that he just signed. 84 million, 12 years. (laughs) Very different league. 12 years. It was a very different league. That's a pretty good deal. I mean, look, 12 years, 84 million. That's a good deal. But like, you just don't hear that anymore. Well, that's what, I mean, like all the last dance stuff, Scotty's deal was that he, that he ended up holding out over was seven, right? It was a seven year, like 18 million or something like that, which is shamefully low, but still like seven year contract. Like that is insane. You just don't see that anymore. So that brings me to my major criticism of the acting in this movie and where, you know, where the performances really break down. It's entirely the Looney Tunes. Yes. Yes. I know where you're going with this. Suck in this movie. It's like it is I mean, maybe it's it's an era thing, like, but this is like new, like 90s style Looney Tunes, and it's awful and it sucks. The voices are wrong. Uh, they had actually trouble getting the right people to do the voices. Okay. Um, a lot of the people who voiced people in this movie, uh, the characters never voiced them again. Um, the voices are off, the characters are off, everything about it is off, and the Looney Tunes suck. They give the bad performances in this movie. Are we singling any Looney Tune out? Bugs, Daffy is terrible. Daffy is terrible. Daffy is really bad. Daffy is distractingly terrible in this movie. Um, I realize I'm criticizing the acting of an animated duck. <laughs> Isn't the point Bugs is not to great. make, much like Wayne Knight, who you had a problem with his performance when they made the character grating and annoying on purpose, isn't that the way they wrote Daffy in the movie? It, no, but it, you you watched Looney Tunes when you were a kid, right? Like the original cartoons. Some, yeah. Daffy sure. is yes, he is grating and annoying, but in an entirely different way. Well, okay, Dave, yeah. this is an interesting question because you're you're younger than both Brian and me. The Looney Tunes that you grew up watching, to whatever degree, did they sound at all like these guys? And were they drawn at all like these guys or were they closer to the older era? And you saw clips of that actually in Space Jam, because those are the the Looney Tunes that I know Brian and I grew up watching. And for me, it's distracting to see or hear anything different. And that happens, by the way, when I watch cartoons with my daughter, like there's certain ones that get rebooted, like versions of Mickey Mouse that aren't the Mickey Mouse I grew up with. And it feels weird. Like I would agree on the Daffy Duck part that that voice didn't totally track for me. But to, to me, Bugs, it was Bugs. And I, I thought the animation on Bugs in particular, maybe they spent more time knowing that people, their eyes would dart towards Bugs more so than the Elmer Fudd. Or like, I thought some of his characters weren't animated all that well. And that was something that, mm-hmm. that I cared about. But I thought Bugs like, was consistent. And there were a couple scenes. Bugs, like Wayne Knight, delivered. <laughs> well, one, so there's when he is describing to the other Looney Tunes the challenge that's in front of them. And they, it's an ode to the old Patton movie with the, 
him in the general fatigues and the American flag behind him. There's some like really cool angles and for hand-drawn animation, it was really impressive. And then there was a scene where Daffy and Bugs have to go back to Jordan's house to get his gear to play. Mm -hmm. And there's a tracking shot down the hallway and they're like checking every bedroom door or every, every door along the hallway to stick their head in and see, you know, if they could find his sneakers and his shorts in there. It's really, really good animation with shadows and with different angles and perspective. And um, whether you don't like the lines and the voicing, I, I think the animators did a good job. Those you know who didn't very trusting. You know who didn't like it was uh, Chuck Jones, the uh, longtime director of Looney Tunes. He he, the, a few years after the movie came out, didn't like it. He thought that it w- it was not faithful to the source material. He thought mm-hmm. that Bugs Bunny would never openly recruit others in something like this that he would have dispatched the aliens by himself which i guess oh. makes sense when you look at the uh, history of bugs bunny in sports he was a one-man wrecking crew dave like that guy took care of things by himself but as much as michael jordan causes them to win the game not to fast forward too far to the big part of the movie let's be honest spoiler alert bugs bunny is the one who saves Jordan's dreadful halftime speech by suggesting this, you know, uh, panacea called Michael's Secret Stuff, which is really just water. It's a placebo. One, yes, there you go. And Bugs Bunny is the one that has the game-winning steal that leads to the game-winning bucket. I'm not saying tactically he doesn't play an important role in the movie. I'm but saying- Chuck Jones, you're kind of wrong. Bugs does do it all. Sorry, Chuck. Uh, I mean, right. if you look at that box score, Dave, the, the scoring is going to be quite oh, no, we heavily are, lopsided. We, 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 are, we, are, we are going to look at the box score. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. that, that is yes. something that I pulled as well, uh, is the box score. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, before we do that, though, um, if you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, 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 why not spend some more time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped uh, promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving, thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Uh, Andy, Manscaped is the only brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. There are a lot of them that are dedicated above the waist grooming, but not as many below the waist. That's what Manscaped does. Yeah, they're forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0. <laughs> it's a nickname I'd love to give myself. The I believe package. the perfect package 3.0 was a wrestler in the mid-early uh, <laughs> 2000s. Yeah, the third-generation trimmer comes with a cutting-edge ceramic blade to avoid uh, manscaping accidents and obviously... This is an area that people are going to be self-conscious and sensitive about. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know that you're covered there. Uh, you're going to be nick-free thanks to the Manscapes Advanced Skin Safe technology. Um, and it is the perfect package for your perfect package. Yeah, and inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing and deodorant and moisturizer. Any thoughts on that, Dave? Um. Uh... No, <laughs> didn't, want, didn't want to leave you out. Uh, so get 20% off and free shipping with the code theathletic at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code theathletic for a limited time. Subscribers uh, get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com and use the code theathletic. Just had to get that off my chest. What frequency do is manscaping expected? 
That's a question. It's not in the copy, Dave. <laughs> I really know, but I think that's actually dependent on who, uh, whether you're manscaping for yourself or you're manscaping for a significant other. Right, or the um, right which yeah, your body goes there. Sure. All Good. of those things uh, play sure. into it. I don't think there's one answer to that question. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get to authenticity. Because normally, like we did Any Given Sunday, we did He Got Game, like... These are movies where you can kind of evaluate the basketball, you can evaluate the football. That does not necessarily apply here, uh, at least not in the same way. I mean, is it realistic? No, it's not supposed to be. Um, so here are some questions that I have about the authenticity of this film. Would Michael Jordan have been as uh, tolerant of the horrible performances uh, and talent around him with his Looney Tunes uh, teammates as he was in this movie, he's very supportive. Come on, guys, there's still a second half to play. You just have to believe in yourself. We're talking about a guy who once punched Steve Kerr. <laughs> like, so is he going to be this uh, tolerant of teammates that are just obviously terrible? I mean, we all know Kobe would have demanded a trade like five minutes into this game. It's, it is asking a lot of MJ. I mean, I, I, I actually was wondering this is the most he's ever carried a team. Is this the most any NBA player has ever carried any team? Like, period. Like, I, I, the, the degree to which he's carrying these guys, because Lola is the only teammate with any discernible skills whatsoever. And by the way, cool that they let the female character actually be able to play. Like, I actually think that's really cool. Yeah, especially I like some thoughts on Lola, though. Yeah. Sure. No, it's fine. But I'm just saying, she's the only one with any type of skills whatsoever. Like, he's really carrying that squad despite that uh, last minute steal by bugs dave but as much as they move forward the female basketball notion female the uh, rabbit basketball notion <laughs> when they are trying to drill home the point that charles barkley can't play anymore like charles barkley he goes to a blacktop in the city and it's a game of pickup basketball involving girls yeah like, that part of yeah, play but i'm saying he can't play with girls so it's like he's not as good as a girl to suggest oh, that no, know. I didn't. I didn't even. I didn't read it that way. I just read it as like kind of cool that they had like girls playing pickup ball. Like, yeah, in, that's how I read it too. That's maybe, how I read it. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Okay. I, I don't like, know. Now, now I'm thinking of it your way. I thought they were trying to illustrate just how bad he is at basketball now that he can't even hang with girls on the court. Oh wow! Hmm. I wonder about that. I hope like, that's not how they meant it. I, I hope not right. too. Because on the other hand. They make Lola Bunny good, but the oversexing of Lola Bunny is both unnecessary. It doesn't hold up, and it's just weird. <laughs> like, can we all agree that the, they they go through a lot of lengths, like with the crop top and like the really tight shorts and all that stuff, to make Lola Bunny hot? And it's it's just I realize. Look, there's a lid for every pot, but <laughs> but like it's. It's weird. Like, it's in the context of the movie, making Lola Bunny hot is kind of weird. So when she has her first kind of debut scene, when she shows up at the gym after it's been spit-shined, and, you know, Michael's like, you guys can't play. Who's going to show me? And then she has this dunk or whatever. Her ears come down as if they are tussled hair after a row. <laughs> and her jersey is falling off the side of her shoulder as if to show more bunny skin. 
it's it's way over it's, the top. It's, it's a lot. I'm, I'm just like, going to say it. You mentioned Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Andy. Like Jessica Rabbit being hot is sort of integral to the plot of that movie. This was like a, a movie for kids. Okay, I'm just going to say it. In terms of in terms of the appropriateness and why it's in the movie, you're both correct. It makes it's it doesn't really make sense, and it's other than the idea that Bugs is attracted to her, like Bugs is in love with her, and you know you could probably do that without being as over the top. Oh, <laughs> but it was effective. I'm not gonna lie. Like if she is made out to be, I think successfully a very attractive rabbit. I'm not afraid to say it. Like she actually. <laughs> so, okay, well, she's attractive I'll say it. it I was reminded of the fact that in Lion King Nala is kind of an attractive <laughs> lion lioness you're kind of into Nala I don't yes, know so but, I, I but can, they don't can, go out of they don't dress Nala like she's right. going clubbing that's like true. you know when the thing is over I just um, it was weird I just I kept watching this going this is so weird it's a cartoon bunny and they're like really going out of their way so there's a scene where so bugs you know when the monsters are trying to maintain their lead they start being physical just like the tunes players were and bugs you know gets crushed and lola comes and finally professes her feelings for him and they have this this kiss right now what is the first thing that happens to michael jordan when he comes into the looney tune world to be convinced that he's actually in a cartoon world. Uh, Bugs kisses him. Bugs kisses him. So who knew that Bugs <laughs> is... Uh... <laughs> that was, I mean, that was a, an interesting way to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't just like a little peck. Right. It's you a full, full on... smooch. Well, Dude, you know, I mean, I think... Would have been the kiss of death. <laughs> I think once they recognized we're, we're getting a PG... They took some liberty. <laughs> like they, they say, you know what? Let's. It's the equivalent of when an action movie decides whether or not they're going to go for the hard R versus the PG thirteen. Right. But like yeah. Space Jam leaned into the idea of we're going to be PG. Let's take That's a few true. chances. But <laughs> you, are we let's let, like the or is it the, actually a decent transition to the uh, the to the pandemic issue. Um, we talked about you know they talk about like it's they're dealing with slavery here is the end game, right? Um, you know, the, the very, very forward uh, response to the, the global pandemic, like they pull the plug on the entire league and players won't get dressed. Like Vlade and said, like they're not getting dressed until this is figured out, no matter how much Del Harris tells them to. Um, and then now you have this, which is uh, apparently a, an introduction into, you know, g gay kissing in movies. There was years ahead of its time. How about that? So now, okay, I thought it was kind of wild that they're throwing around the term slave and slavery the way they are. Considering the star is an African-American man, like, that's a little strange. Yeah, I mean, is it any stranger, Dave, than the uh, scene in the game where Foghorn Leghorn is dribbling up court singing uh, Dixie? Like, I, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say... It's the only song Foghorn Leghorn knew. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, without having even read the script, that will not be in LeBron's reboot. I'm very confident <laughs> saying that. Now, that said, one of the better jokes in the movie, and kind of like an Easter egg, is when they are going to gather at the Union Hall to explain that, hey, these aliens are taking us over. 
there's like a marquee outside the Union Hall. It says, tonight, aliens turn us into slaves. Saturday, Tony Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, none of this gets signed off on without Jordan being cool with it and, you know, the other players. So they, I mean, I think they was one of those take us figuratively, not literally type mm-hmm. situations. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I did, that did not escape me. Like the idea of the visual of MJ and chains and that it's, Weird. I don't think it, I don't think it needs to be harped on. Like clearly it's a cartoon and there's, there's not meant to be any type of a social commentary whatsoever. It, but it is odd. It's an, it's an odd choice to make. I, when, when you have and I, to. I know obviously they weren't going for this either, but I was struck a little bit by the, the way they shut the league down. Like that, that was a little too like timely. Prescient, yeah. Yeah, I was like, eh, I had forgotten. Although, although in forgot both about cases, that. in both cases, I think they acted a little too late. Like whether now or whether then, I, I, I feel. Know. Oh, I, what was the timeline on how long it took for all five of those guys to lose their powers or lose pretty their talent? quick? I mean, it's. I mean, this right, been so going, you wouldn't necessarily have time. No, to no, but off. I mean, but this is this has been going on a while. I mean, we've had enough time for Charles, like Dave, to point out before, to play a game against random schoolgirls. I mean, like this has been going on a while. No, and, no, they shut down. They lose. No, but like, it's gone on long enough for other players to be concerned about this. Like, and and we know from having covered the Lakers, the players were starting to get concerned about this and wondering whether or not this yeah. is a good idea. You know, I, I think in both cases the league acted a little late. I mean, they, they were <laughs> they were out front, and I congratulate them for this. Um, and it's interesting. I wonder why David Stern wasn't the commissioner. Uh, in the Space Jam one. Play the role, right? He does get a name drop when they're on the golf course when Bill Murray's trying to get Larry Bird to give him a recommendation to, to play in the league with all these guys out. Uh, but yeah, they, they some I couldn't even I didn't look at the actor name. Please, David Stern. Uh, all right, let's get to the, uh, the, the critical part of this, which I think where it really does win is in the timelessness of, uh, of Space Jam. This thing is held up and obviously the remake is 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 kind of helps in that but like from a pop culture basketball standpoint space jam is a giant it is a it is is a landmark it is huge um this despite i'm not sure entirely sure everybody remembering what's actually in it but like monstars mj in it all this stuff space jam is is gigantic i don't think there's any question about that I think a huge part of it, and we haven't really gotten into it yet, is the soundtrack. Like, it, you have Fly Like an Eagle by Seal. Mm-hmm. You have I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly, which was a huge, yeah. huge... Yeah, although I got to say, when the movie out. opens with an R. Kelly song, <laughs> there is a part of me going, Ew. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean... Uh, right. And then you have, um, like, songs like Pump Up the Jam and stuff. Like, it, it's a legitimate soundtrack. I, I did enjoy in the Space Jam opening the uh, hoop. There it is. Yeah. I, I like that. It also, too, like this is a time where if you can get Seal to do the soundtrack of your movie, that is massive. Like, you know, a lot Seal of people, is they got as, a lot of people to do a lot of things in this movie. But Seal in particular, though, like he is as 90s as 90s get. Like yeah. Seal was massive. Uh, they did all of this despite it being fairly thinly plotted, I would say. And you know, the movie is outrageously short it is it is uh it comes in at about an hour 29 and that's with the closing credits and a very long title sequence of michael jordan dunking um which actually i think is that that holds up too because one at the time i remember and this is like pre-youtube and stuff 
the highlights they they collected for it uh, were a really good collection. I mean, you, you're talking about UNC still shots of him in his Laney High School uniform to obviously you know dunk contest material and, mm-hmm. and in-game dunks, uh, and then interspliced with a very like clear look to it with the uh, chain link fence and then the the big huge title cards for all the people in the movie and you go from michael jordan across the screen to bugs bunny and it's not laughable i think it's well done <laughs> Wayne Knight delivers. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not going to find many things that i can say that are bad about this show. <laughs> <So>. clearly <laughs> we, we've we're, that's been made very clear dave <laughs> like i think i think we've established that well i mean but i will say like if you if you're not bothered by the looney tunes part of it like which was just enormously distracting to me and really made it hard for me to like because like i think of i just it's like these characters aren't these characters to me and it yeah. makes it really hard for me to engage in the movie but like the humans in it or whatever are fine like Jordan's fine. Like they do some funny stuff with there. And Bill Murray, I think is really funny. Even Larry Bird is kind of funny. Um, yeah. You know, um, you know, Larry's not white. Larry's clear. <laughs> that was a good line. <laughs> That's a really good line. I, I want to say though, I, I, and maybe this is uh, as much a thing about authenticity as timelessness, but in terms of just something that we've heard about all the time, we continue to hear in terms of modern NBA culture. And this is something that this, this movie really undercuts. This, is, this story, Space Jam, features Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, LJ, all these other players, that all of whom Michael stopped from winning championships. And it has a plot where MJ literally has to save them. But we're constantly told that today's players need to learn what it means to hate each other like they did in MJ's generation. Like, get the F out of here with that. I mean, like, these guys are all, in a lot of ways, just emasculating themselves for the sake of Michael Jordan. Like, um, like Jordan's dog is named Charles, and the dog <laughs> lives in Jordan's house. Like, I don't want to hear anymore about how these guys all hated each other. Like, well, I don't no, want to no, hear that's, it anymore. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a dig. I mean, that's like... I know, but... That's but, him but, making fun of him. Right, but if these guys all hated each other so much, they wouldn't do it. They they're not going to be. Do, they're not going to be doing a movie where Michael Jordan, you know, forget the guy who keeps them from winning, saves their asses. Like they're not going to do that if, if it's that personal. They're not, not going to do it. Not only does he save them, but when he comes to finally give them back their talent that he won back from the aliens, he gets in a dig. And he's like, yo, you know, I don't even have much game to speak of, but. Yeah, you want it back? <laughs> They're afraid to touch the ball. They're afraid to touch the ball. By the way, did you guys get the like? You remember the thing with the orb earlier in in the Trump administration, where all the when he's holding the ball out, going touch the ball, guys, touch the ball, and they're all like reluctant. All I could think of was the orb, <laughs> the picture of that weird thing of Trump and all those leaders around that glowing ball and like the UN or whatever it was, uh, or whatever visit that was. So, a side note to there uh, to the orb, but yeah, I mean. I don't know. There's a lot about like there's a lot about that era that's just all mythology and stuff like that. Some of which we can get into by talking about uh, some of the trivia and fun facts of this movie. Uh, starting, I think, with the box score. Um, Dave, you, I, you, we probably came across the same piece of uh, information here. Do you have you have box score stuff that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I actually was just taking notes of whenever they would show the scoreboard. So it was sixty six to eighteen at the half. Mm-hmm. Uh, at which point, 
the Toon Squad goes on a 34 to nothing run <laughs> to, to make it 66-62, all whilst Marvin the Martian. Now, this is the one cartoon character I have a major problem with. Marvin the Martian plays the referee. It's the worst refereeing in the history of it's basketball. Atrocious. Not a single, it's atrocious. Not a single call. Foul. Not a single I mean, foul was called. In MJ's final dunk. <laughs> no call there. There's literally two guys hanging on. Well, they, they, when, they smushed, <laughs> when they smushed Wayne Knight, no call. No call. <laughs> well, that's an and one. There's an, I, don't, I don't care how. I mean, this, this is like that's an and one. This is like prison ball they're playing. I mean, like, these, <laughs> yeah. are, these are harsh rules. You know, look, look he let him play. He, he was equally permissive, like, because, you know, Elmer Fudd, I believe it was, was it Elmer and Sylvester who set off the TNT? That's mm-hmm. a foul. You can't do that. Well, I mean, there's a right. the fiction reference where they, no where they literally shoot guns. <laughs> <laughs> they shoot a hole through Sylvester. No That's call. true. No call. No harm, no foul. Actually, I think Marvin shoots the hole through Sylvester because he signals oh, right, like signal halftime by shooting right. the gun. So the Which referee also feels unnecessary. Not a hole through one of the players. <laughs> I mean, I guess the lesson is we always say all the time, you know, let him play, let him play. Be careful what you wish for. Well, and also, too, it was 90s era NBA. So, Seriously. I mean, right. You could get away with a lot back then. But it was but a horribly officiated game. Two so of the thir- Monstars squish Elmer with their backsides and turn him into a paper thin. Um, you know, Jordan, as I mentioned earlier, he's just getting knocked all over the place in the second half. Uh, yeah. 34 nothing run. Not even a timeout called. And I got to be honest with you, I did not see a significant change in the, in the defensive strategy of the Toon Squad at that point. Um, I, you know, they, they didn't double differently. They didn't, you know, full court press. I, I, I get that they went on a run 34 to nothing. Seems like a lot. There was actually one that's even better when they go from, I believe it's something like 76 to 66. And then they cut back to the scoreboard and it's 76 to 75 or whatever the, the final before, uh, MJ's final dunk. So it's 77, 76 before the final, dunk. right? If you go back like 30, like 30 seconds in the movie, they show the scoreboard again. No time has elapsed, but the Toon <laughs> Squad has like eight more points. <laughs> yeah, it goes from 68, 66 to 77, 76. Right. So overall, the, overall the Toons uh, go on a 48 to two run in the second half. Again, yeah. without any really discernible well, adjustment in their here, second half. But end. here's the thing, yeah. though. The Monstars, for all their size, they're atrocious defensively. Like they're really bad, even in the first half of the game before MJ and Bugs trick the other guys into thinking that they're good and also they start cheating. Like, they're not very good defensively. Like, you think they could just pack the paint and dare guys to shoot, and they, and they don't. And, and MJ slips by them a lot. Even Lola slips by a couple times. They don't use their size well. Um, a guy named- size. Oh, um, go ahead, Dave. The one monster that is, I think, the harshest depiction of any of the five NBA players who donate their talents. Sean Bradley's monster is just this huge, dumb, stiff. The other, yeah. None of the other monsters are like extremely dumb or extremely terrible, but Sean Bradley's monster is a stiff. Neither um, Bradley's monster nor uh, Muggsy Bogues' monster score in the game. They don't even shoot. Um, a guy named Andrew Mooney from the uh, Harvard, what's this? The uh, Harvard College Sports Analytics Collective in 2011 <laughs> put together an analytics based box score of this game. Um, 
Jordan had 44 points with a usage rate of 44%. Uh, he was 22 of 22 from the floor. Um, the Toon Squad did not miss a shot. They were 39 of 39. Um, the Monstars, Barkley's Monstar led them with uh, 37. Uh, Ewing's Monstar, Bupkis, had 34. And Bang, who was Johnson's, had six. There was one missed shot in the entire game. That was the one where they set off the explosives, okay. <laughs> which, which threw them <laughs> off, which means there was not a single rebound recorded in the game. Uh, the Toons scored 132 points per 100 possessions. The Monstars scored 154, which somehow is impossible for the, the Toon squad to win. Um, and uh, again, one shot missed for the entire game. And there were only two shots in the entire game that were not dunks. There was the one where Wayne Jordan has a mid-range jumper. Right, which comes, which was totally weird. Like, dunk, 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 dunk. Ooh, a little mid-range game yeah. right there. It actually was like, whoa, where'd that come from? Um, but that was the only jump shot in the thing, because I don't think you can count Stan Podolak's squished shot yeah, as a right. jumper. Uh, but sure. those are the only two that weren't dunks in the entire game. The last shot technically is not a dunk. Because his hand does not touch the rim. He, well, he throws it in like Blake Griffin throws, threw the yeah, ball in on right. a dunk over uh, yeah. Moscow. Yeah. Or, or Dwight that one year yeah, uh, same in, in the thing. dunk contest. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, actually, Dwight, I was learning a little bit because I know I wanted to talk about uh, Space Jam 2. Um, and by the way, am I the only person who thought that the Looney Tunes uniforms looked pretty close to a wizard's uniform? Like kind of reminded me a little bit of what MJ would eventually no, be wearing. That. No, I didn't. Like sort of white with the blue. No, no, but uh, anyway, um, Space Jam 2, obviously. So, yes, you are the only one. <laughs> I, I am the only one. Okay. Um, it, I really, really saw it. But uh, obviously, this movie's coming out. And uh, the director of the original, Pitka, uh, Pitka, um, he's not a fan of them trying to do it. And he said, quote, I worked with LeBron. I worked with Steph Curry and as great a player as LeBron is, as good a player as Steph Curry is. They're not Michael Jordan. We'll never see another player like him. He was a transcendent figure, much like Ali. He was beyond his sport. These guys aren't. He also noted, too, that uh, Dwight Howard, when he was back with the Hawks, approached him to uh, potentially do a sequel. Uh, oh, never knew that. And uh, Pickett turned it down. But uh, I didn't know that either. But uh, it raises the question just of, whether or not this this new version with LeBron will do well, should they be doing it? Are there advantages or disadvantages that come with being the reboot? Are they bringing the Looney Tunes back for it? Is it still Bugs and all that other stuff, or do we not know yet? Bugs is in the they released like a logo of what it's going to look like um, within this last week, actually, the new Space Jam symbol, mm -hmm. and it says like the two main actors being LeBron James, Bugs Bunny. Okay, see, I'm going to have the same problem as I had before then, because it's not going to be... <laughs> Mel Blanc's death basically killed this concept for me. And his kid, who did a lot of the voicing of after Mel Blanc died, I think, you know, that was part of it, too. Like, he wasn't involved in this. But, um, yeah, I, I think the movie's going to do well. I don't know when it's going to come out now because of all this stuff. It's 2021, I, mean, I believe. Right. Uh, LeBron actually, uh, during the NBA hiatus, came out and said that it's still on track to come it's still on track because okay, so it was it's not yet been a, i think it's gonna do massive business i actually I think, think it'll be i think it'll be pretty good 
I actually think it's going to be better. I mean, despite Dave, Dave's contention that you could never make a movie better than Space Jam. Um, I actually I actually think it's going Wayne to be Wayne Knight delivers. <laughs> um, I mean, first of all, we, we've reached a place where doing technology like this is going to be smoother. It's going to be better, more experienced. Um, LeBron, I think, has pretty good taste in projects. Like most of the stuff that he's been involved with as a producer um, have, has been really good. Um, like Survivor's Remorse was good. Uh, 89 Blocks was good. I think The Shop is well produced. Um, I just learned that he's a producer of that Netflix series, Self Made, uh, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker with Octavia uh -huh. Spencer. I didn't realize that, but I've, I've heard that's very good. We're, at an, we're also in a place where athletes are more taken, are taken seriously in terms of creating content. Um, they have more experience in it. And LeBron has demonstrated some acting ability, particularly like comedy acting. He's great in Trainwreck. Like he borderline steals that movie. He's really funny in it. So I actually think, you know, you could argue whether or not we need a Space Jam sequel or reboot or whatever. But I actually think the prospects of this, I, I think go, the prospects I'll, I'll of it, it being better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the NBA players that are reportedly in it are Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, Dame Lillard, Chris Paul. Kyle Kuzma, uh, you get to have the NBA cameos from Diana Taurasi and the Gumke sisters. Um, I think Clay Thompson is actually really good at unintentional humor. Uh, mm -hmm. They're kind of dry. I think that could work. Dan Lillard's, he pops off the screen. Uh, so it's a, a pretty good mix of characters. Kyle Kuzma, um, when we were talking about the Michael's secret stuff, uh, has a tattoo on his thigh of a water bottle with a pasted on piece of paper describing the contents of said water bottle with Kuz's secret stuff. So he was, I did not know that. this role. There you go. Huh? I believe, I I believe that's what he tells all the ladies in the DMs about that. When you make a list of people who I wonder how much social distancing they're doing, he's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> He's really adhering to it as strictly as we're all supposed to be. Uh, Dave, I know you have four pages of notes. Hey, can I rip through some other yeah. things? That Please. Please. Wanna leave, we Please. don't leave anything on the table. Okay. So, okay. Here's a problem I have with it. Does it stop? Whoa, whoa, whoa. A problem? He goes from training in the Air Jordan 9 mm -hmm. when he has his initial practice. The, the, the sneakers that they procure from his house to bring to the Looney Tune world to playing his the ultimate game, the game versus monsters, where in the Jordan 11, what happened to the Jordan 10? It just doesn't fit the timeline. There's a little hole there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> an otherwise perfectly tight movie. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got so it's a shame it, when right? you've got, we, you've got oh basically like a, you've got like a, you know, LA confidential Chinatown level of script that unfortunately falls apart. When Barkley <laughs> has his talents taken from him, uh, at a game between the Suns and Knicks at Madden Square Garden is as presented. Danny Ainge hits Barkley across the head. Like, what's wrong with you? That would be major, major news. And that would, <laughs> like, if I was covering that game, that'd be the only thing I'd talk about on sports. Nerd. Well, no, but, but it was overshadowed by the fact that Barkley lost his talent. That's, so, like, that's, that, that's, it that's does, get, it becomes the B story. Um, there's a great dig. Um, because Michael comes home and his kids are watching uh, TV and Jim Rome plays a local sportscaster. And uh, Jordan, when he, before he changes the channel to Looney Tunes for his kids to watch, says, 
what do you guys watch this stuff for? It's bad for you. So taking his dig at sports media. Um, at Jim Rome uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. He's the sportscaster. Uh, last Jim week. Rome, it can't be a real dig because he got to make the money from being in the movie. So it, it works okay. Um, dig at Madonna uh, when Barkley yeah. during the, the montage when they're trying to figure out what's wrong with these players. He's in church and saying things he'll give up uh, in order to get his talents back. I'll never go out with Madonna again. <laughs> little, 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 little blow. Dig at Dennis Rodman when Daffy Duck is trying on his outfits of what he's going to look like on the court when he plays in this big game. He comes out at one point with uh, lime green hair, which was what Dennis Rodman was accustomed to looking like. That's when he first started to show different hair colors for the San Antonio Spurs prior to being a teammate of quick Michael. note on that, Dave. I thought when he, when Daffy settled on purple and gold, it was like somebody there was just a Laker fan. Like I'm partial to purple and gold. Turns out it was actually a shout out to the colors of Jordan's fraternity at North Carolina. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause speaking of which, when Jordan is having his McDonald's meal in the motel room uh, that he's staying at as part of his minor league baseball stint, you can see his Omega brand mm-hmm. uh, on his chest, which is, to me, I was surprised. Like, I, it felt like it could have been an easy edit out. And considering his kind of very warm and fuzzy persona presented to the world no, at that stage of his career. That was a fraternity thing, though. Right. Um, and uh, Swaghammer, right? He's at the game. He's the, the head of the, the Monstars, the, the evil uh, owner of Moron Mountain. Uh, He's at one point getting a massage during the game, at another point uh, being served gourmet food. Uh, one of the aliens asks if he wants some sorbet. But basically, he's at a game at State Farm Arena these days with Atlanta Hawks because <laughs> you get a haircut during a game there. You get a gourmet meal. Uh, so that's another prescient uh, part of the movie. Um, in my actually, one thing I want to get in before we, we get to our grading there's that scene where where the uh, the aliens come to steal the talent of Barkley and then you know at, at the garden or whatever and Patricia Heaton and Dan Castellaneta are there and I understand why Patricia Heaton is uncomfortable. There's a uh, a dude in a raincoat with a scarf and it's like it's not normal. She doesn't like complain like there's a creepy person next to me. She complains about the quality of the seats. <laughs> you said you were going to get better seats this year. You're in the third row at the garden like they're they're in like the third row and like i mean even in 96 like those tickets must have been i mean like 200 300 bucks a pop right third row at the garden back then sure. like at least that much you know you could say there's a person that like please help me with this creepy person don't complain to dan castellanetta about the quality of the seats he's doing the best he can those are hard to come by spike is like us two two rows in front of you spike lee all right, so like, l- l- give him a break, Patricia Heaton. I understand why you're uncomfortable with the the, the creepy people next to you and the, the raincoat, but lay off the guy. He's doing the best he can. He's providing you with the best seats uh, possible, and I just thought that was unfair. Speaking of Spike, uh, Joe Pitka Pitka, um, <laughs> I, I re- saw an interview with him where he said that quote Spike Lee is a friend of mine, and he approached me to do a polish on the script. I thought Spike would have added some stuff that would have been cooler, but Warner Brothers didn't want to deal with him because of their issues when they did Malcolm X together. Remember, Spike got his friends to put some money into finishing Malcolm X, and the corporation hated the fact that he did that. Uh, A, if people have never heard that story about uh, Spike Lee 
getting people to get, I think like Magic Johnson among, I think mm-hmm. MJ actually might've been one of the people who helped invest. It's just a cool story. But that is a fascinating what if, the idea of Spike Lee's hand on the script, like what, what it actually looked like, his sensibilities and his taste in this movie. That would be interesting to see. Yeah, I would like. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like, but I, I'd like the version of that script for sure. Yeah, well, uh, you don't, two, you don't get Foghorn Leghorn oh, whistling. They've, they've still got a couple. Two, two more things that. before the grades. Trivia: What position is Michael Jordan announced as when they say the starting lineups? I think it was no. He wasn't the small. I think forward. they didn't list a position, right? They, he just said from North Carolina. Player coach. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. That's right. Player coach. You remember what they you what what position Wayne Knight is sent in to play, right? No, center. I don't center. 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 <laughs> Go guard Sean Bradley. <laughs> uh, he delivers. They had one more. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Oh, just a clever little line, swag hammer when Bill Murray enters in the game. Yes. Breaks the third wall, looks mm-hmm. to the camera as is. <laughs> I didn't know Dan or Aykroyd was in this picture. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that in there. Um, but yeah, I will say the funniest, the funniest scene in the movie is the one on the green. And they're also, I also like how casual they are about the fact, and they just sort of like, they finished their round, basically. Like how casual they are about the <laughs> yeah. fact that Michael Jordan just got sucked down a golf hole. And all right, well, it's cool. Uh, move along. All right, so we've reached the part that we do, uh, very important, uh, where we, we hand out rings. Uh, this is a sports podcast. We judge it by rings. On a one to ten rings scale, Dave McMenamin, you are our featured guest today. Uh, you may deliver your, uh, you know, your uh, grade here for this movie. How many rings do you give Space Jam? Can we do halves, or is it only a, a solid? The world is your oyster, Dave. I'm gonna go seven and a half. Seven and a half rings. Solid. I'm shocked it's that low. Which is about as many rings as Jordan would have won had he not uh, retired because to play baseball. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I expected 11. Well, is it just out of sports movies? Or is it all movies? It's not really a it, hard and fast system. Other sports movies or all movies all the time. So seven and a half, obviously. I'll go up to eight if we're just talking sports. Movies. Okay, oh, yeah. you don't have to. You don't have to. You, you follow your heart. <laughs> I just, I, I, I was expecting like 11 rings. Oh, I was let's just say, how about this? By comparison, what do you give like The Godfather? Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, The Godfather is like an eight and a half. Now you're seven and a half. Makes oh, a lot no. of sense. I mean, come on, Godfather would, would be 10 out of 10. What about He Got Game? When was the last time you saw that? I actually, funny, for my 16th birthday party, I was a big, obviously, basketball guy back then. But I did a bunch of my friends over my mom's house for you know pizza and we're going to watch He Got Game. Didn't know what was going right. to come in that <laughs> My mom was quite <laughs> uncomfortable watching that with a bunch of 16 year old boys. <laughs> Uh, I bet all of you wanted to go to Tech U and it was done. <laughs> yeah, right. But in terms of a movie that, that means more to me, like makes me happier, it's Space Jam. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Andy? I'm going to give it the same amount of rings as MJ had when this movie came out. I'm giving it four rings. It, it's wow. just, it's not, a, it's not a great movie. That it just is, isn't. That means that you didn't enjoy watching it. That is what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I had some fun Dave in, in the observation. Dave is an excellent journalist. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, wait a minute. 
reading in between Holy. lines here. Holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> what a scoop! <laughs> Andy Wayne Knight delivered. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm giving it four rings. I mean, it's just wow. it, like I said though. I actually am predicting that I will be giving Space Jam two more rings. That's my that's my hot take right now. I yeah, I I have to say like because again, I watched it twice. The first twenty minutes of the first viewing, I'm like, because I'm oh great, this is it's it's an hour twenty nine. We're in, we're out, or whatever. It's like yeah, well, you know. And I was like eighteen minutes. I was like, oh my god, how much time is left? I thought we were like halfway through. We're only eighteen minutes in. So. My first full viewing uh, in preparation of this, I gave it a three. I watched it again, and I bumped it up to a, a five. I found it entertaining enough, and I decided my, I, my big problem with it was just one thing over and over and over again. It, was it is. That is. That's a problem for me, too. And, and that's why I asked Dave about the generational gap or you know, the, the age gap. Like I'm wondering if that literally is an issue for you and me that isn't there for Dave. Maybe. Yeah, when did I you graduate think... from high school, Dave? Oh, one. Okay, yeah. So you're seven years behind me. So yeah, it's, it's a big like enough. I, I, yeah, I don't have like a carbon copy idea of what a Looney Tunes. Right, yeah, like, I do. You know, and so, like, yeah. you know, what what like Wiley e. Coyote is supposed to be doing, and what Foghorn Leghorn is supposed to do and sound like, and these are characters that have like a universe and like. They are well-drawn, well-established characters, and so many rules about these people get violated in this film, it bothered me. Yeah, I, that, that, that was, was hard good. for me, too. Like, like I said, I, MJ actually isn't the problem in this movie at all. Nope. Like, it only got a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, Dave, so we're not alone. Yeah, I guess you guys are in range. Yeah. Well, you can write more reviews of it if you want. You can bump up the score. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think Space Jam 2 will have a hard time meeting the quality of switch up. I am very confident that won't be the issue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, we're looking forward to your review. Yes. Um, <laughs> Where the hell is Wayne Knight? <laughs> <laughs> How do you leave Wayne Knight out? He's going to be so anti-Space Jam 2. He's going to be aggressively, <laughs> aggressively anti-Space Jam 2 preserving the the importance of space jam the original in his in his uh you know uh memories of childhood so i i see what's coming here and then it's really interesting like you went from this at age 14 to let's all get let's all get together to watch he got game <laughs> <at> 16 <laughs> that's right kids grow up fast years. Years. Yeah, kids grow up fast uh, right. yeah that is one of those Ooh, i didn't know that was coming <laughs> kind of yeah um i bet you all left with crushes on rosario dawson too so yeah, that was important moments. Um, all right, Indeed. Dave, Dave McMenamin, ESPN covers everything around the NBA, does a fantastic job with that. Uh, thank you for, for agreeing to do this. This is a lot of fun. Do you have anything yeah. coming out, Dave, people should be watching for? Uh, a, uh, a look back slash look forward of everything that happened to the Lakers from July uh, 2019 to where we stand now. Um, I'm not sure exactly when it's going to. It's a lot. I actually, I, I kind of, I laid it out in a timeline uh, last week for the athletic. Now with a ton of commentary, or obviously not with the kind of reporting that I'm sure you're going to deliver for something like this, but it's just like, you go back just to April, like it's a calendar year from when magic Johnson was on barely more than a calendar year. And if you lay out all the stuff, Basketball stuff, off the court stuff, obviously Kobe, you know, global pandemic shuts down NBA. It's a lot. 
means a lot. The long story you got right there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a beast. All right, so we we'll appreciate the time, that. man. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, fellas.